Matthew chapter 18, particularly looking at sort of verses 5 to 14 this morning, but we're going to read from the beginning, and Rachel's going to read that for us. Matthew chapter 18, beginning at verse 1. At that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child and had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man through whom they come. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. See that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, Will he not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he is happier about that one sheep than about the 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Well, let's take our Bibles together and turn to Matthew 18, to these verses that we've begun to look at a couple of Sundays ago this big block of teaching that Jesus gives us about relationships within the church, within the church family. Very, very important, and we're going to spend some time looking at these. Stafford's going to be looking at the next section next Sunday morning, and we're looking really today at 5 to uh, 14. Some of you might remember the name of Shirley Strong, or might remember Shirley Strong. For a time, she worked with our church as a missionary in Malawi. And I remember Shirley telling us of a young Irish chap who was out visiting one of the remote hospitals where she was. And, and one evening, he went out for a bit of a walk, and it was dusk. And of course, the, the animals uh, tended to become even more active at dusk. And this young chap, he was from Dublin, uh, found himself standing between a mother elephant and its calf. And the mother interpreted this as an act of aggression towards her baby, and she chased this young chap, knocked him to the ground, and proceeded to sit on him. And uh, the hospital staff heard his screams, and they found him soon afterwards, but remarkably, he was entirely uninjured. Turns out that when the elephant had knocked him over, he landed in a shallow depression in the ground, and the elephant sat on him, but didn't actually quite touch him. He did have some images in his head that took him a long time to get rid of, to be fair. <laughs> but he learned a valuable lesson at that point, and that is that it is not a good thing to come between a, 
a parent and its child. Those things are sort of ingrained within uh, the fabric of, of God's creation, aren't they? And we understand that they are actually a reflection, too, of God's care for His children. God draws His children to Himself, makes them His own, and seeks to then protect them and protect them jealously. And part of how God does that is by placing us together in a church family. And God, having that sort of concern for His children, expects then His children to have that sort of concern for one another, that we would care strongly and passionately for one another. And this is the place that we do that in the local church. So that's what we're thinking about today. How can we care for one another? And especially, how can relationships in the church be such so that those who are precious to God, His children, are cared for? Now, you remember that these verses, as we've just said at the beginning, are uh, the fourth of, of five blocks of teaching within Matthew's gospel. And his whole theme through these verses are relationships in the kingdom. What should these relationships look like? What should relationships in the church be like? The disciples, you remember, had been arguing about who was the greatest. That was what prompted this block of teaching. And Jesus took a little child and had him stand among them and taught him, taught them about humility. He said, you've got to become like little children. Humility is essential if you're to enter the kingdom, and humility is essential if you are to continue in the kingdom. It is a, a basic building block of Christian life. And we shouldn't be surprised, of course, that Jesus would emphasize that, because after all, He personifies that. This is a quality that He possesses. We read, we, we read in Philippians that the Lord Jesus though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of a man, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus personifies humility as he steps out of glory to come to the cross, and then unsurprisingly, he calls his followers to be of the same mind. And it is that humility which underpins all good relationships within a church. So, what is it that we need to do as Jesus goes on then to teach on these things? What is it we need to do if we're going to be a church where God's children are cared for each other, where we are encouraged to to burn brightly for the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, four things uh, this morning that we want to look at. First of all, we've got to recognize that all of God's children are precious. We are precious. Remember, Jesus has this child stand amongst them, and, and this child personifies humility. Children in the ancient world especially were seen as those who had nothing to contribute and were the, the picture of, therefore, a humble dependence. But Jesus keeps on referring to uh, His followers as children or as little ones right through this passage. You see, verse 6, 
these little ones who believe in me. Verse 10, these little ones. And again in verse 14, little ones. Some people have thought that at times he's actually talking about actual children, but it seems to be that he's, he's really referring to believers all the way through. But he keeps this picture of us as little children. Why is that? Because children are both precious, but also vulnerable. They are easily damaged. And that is a point that, that God wants us to grasp as His children. We are precious, but we are vulnerable and easily damaged. We're going to see some of these things as we go through today. We're vulnerable to sin. Sin ruins lives. It destroys people. Remember from my youth, the little book, Journey into Life, it was something that was useful to me as I became a Christian, and I've shared it with so many other people. And there's a little chapter in it, a little section in it that says, sin spoils, sin separates, and, a, and sin spreads. Sin ruins people. And, and while God's children have been rescued and saved from sin's penalty and from sin's power, we are not removed from sin's presence, and we are vulnerable to being damaged by it. But we've got to see how precious we are to God. That runs all the way through these verses. God pronounces severe penalties on those who cause His children to sin. He reminds us that the angels who are given to serve His children have access to Him in heaven. He warns us about looking down on any of His children. They are His children, He says. And He tells us that He's not willing that any of them should be lost. So, God loves His children with a, a fierce parental love. His children are no doubt vulnerable, but they are incredibly precious to Him. And part of what is going to make relationships work well within the church is that we share that viewpoint of one another. How do we think of one another? Well, part of how we need to think of one another, as we look at another believer, we think, this is someone who is precious to God, vulnerable, but precious to the God who made them, who rescued them, and who rescued me. All God's children are precious. But we've got to then understand, too, that we are under pressure, that we are threatened. And, and, and those that this is to do with our vulnerability. We've got to watch over ourselves. And, and, and that pressure comes from two particular directions. It comes from inside of us. We're going to look at that in a moment. But then it comes from outside of us. So, we are attacked, as it were, from without and from within. What about this threat from without? Look at verse 6. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of the things that cause people to sin. Now, this is a devastating pronouncement, isn't it? Uh, one of the, the uh, worst possible ways to die, especially in the Jewish thinking, was, was by, by drowning. And this large millstone was the, the community millstone that, that would have been incredibly heavy. In other words, there was no way back from this. And God is saying that these things are very, very serious. But, but for our purposes this morning, we see that there is an enemy who is seeking to cause his children to fail and to fall. There is a world 
and those within the world who are delighted when Christians are torn down. We know that, don't we? Some of us are going to go in and work in places like that tomorrow. Some of us are, are living in, 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 in streets where we, we, we imagine where there are people who are just saying exactly that. They're waiting for Christians to fall. And our living for God, you see, reminds us, reminds them of their rebellion, and they want that silenced, and they want us to join with them. Now, sometimes we can forget that that's the world that we live in. We treat the world as benign, but it is not benign. It is hostile, and we treat it as benign at our peril. Now, the thing is, however, some of those things that cause these little ones to sin are not just outside of the, the church in the world. Sometimes those things are inside the church. We, we know that, that churches are torn apart by fighting and envy and gossip, gossip and, and people end up leaving, and you can be sure that while some will go elsewhere, there will always be a number of people who will just say, do you know what? I'm just going to give up. It's just not, not worth it. They lose heart and they turn away, and, and the, the, the things that caused them to sin were not in the world, but they were in the church. Old Bishop Ryle, a godly bishop of Liverpool, he, he knew of this. This is what he wrote. We put offenses or stumbling blocks in the way of men's souls, whenever we do anything to keep them back from Christ or to turn them out of the way of salvation or disgust them with true religion. We may do it directly by persecuting, ridiculing, opposing, or dissuading them from dedicated service of Christ. We may do it indirectly by living a life inconsistent with our religious profession and by making Christianity loathsome and distasteful by our own conduct. Whenever we do anything of the kind, it is clear from our Lord's word that we commit a great sin. What a responsibility we have as we live for God ourselves to demonstrate to others that it is worth living for God too. And we need to be especially careful with our children in this regard. As adults, we are always creating an atmosphere in which it is easier or harder, humanly speaking, for our children to trust the Lord. Not just those of us who are parents, but those of us who are part of our church family here. All the time, we are saying to them by our words and by our conduct, Jesus is worth investing your life in entirely, or this doesn't matter all that much. Eric Alexander told a story of speaking at the Keswick Convention a number of years ago, and he met a young man who was not part of the convention. He was out walking in the hills and so on, and he got talking with him. And the young man admitted that he used to attend the convention as a child, and Eric asked him what uh, he, he was doing now, and he said, well, I don't really have anything to do with Christianity now, and, and he began to tell him what had happened. He says, as a young man, I, I grew up within the church, and, and I had Christian parents, and, and every Sunday, we came home from the church that I was involved in, and I heard my father gossip and slander about everyone in the church. He said, everyone was cut to pieces at our dinner table, Sunday by Sunday. And so when I chose for myself, I chose to walk away for the whole thing. You see, there are opportunities for us to communicate to those who are coming behind us. This is worth investing your life in, or this is of little consequence. 
We need to recognize that there are pressures outside of us that might lead us into sin. And we must protect, we must help protect one another from these things. This will mean knowing one another well enough that we can help each other face the pressures of the world. It will mean working hard at our relationships within the church so that what we experience here builds us up rather than tears us down. Recognize that there are threats from without. But we also then need to recognize that there are threats from within. And here we're thinking of these pressures within ourselves. Look at verses 8 to 9. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or two feet and be thrown into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and to be thrown into the fire of hell. So, Jesus is warning us here of a great danger from within ourselves, and it is the danger of sin within our lives. Now, this is strong language. Jesus is obviously speaking figuratively, but I'm sure we get a sense of the seriousness and earnestness with which He is seeking to engender within us over these things. Sin, He's saying, is not to be trifled with, but dealt with radically. Take radical action. That's what He's saying. A few weeks ago, I, I read something by a chap called Tim Challies. You, you might know of Tim. He, he writes quite a lot on, on a, a, the internet. And he'd been reading a great Puritan work by a Puritan preacher called John Owen called Sin and Temptation, a, a classic, profound study on how sin works in a believer's life especially. And Challies was saying that he was struck by one sentence in particular. He called it the most... A, terrifying sentence that he'd ever read. And it was simply this, sin, sin always aims at the utmost. Sin always aims at the utmost. And what he meant was that sin has an aim, a purpose, and it is always to lead you and to lead me to the farthest possible degree of transgression that is before you. And he applied it Owen applies it in a number of different ways. So he says, for example, when sin offers an opportunity to enjoy a fleeting lustful glance, it is not actually an invitation to harmlessly linger on a desirable body, but to utterly destroy a marriage through adultery. Or when sin offers an opportunity to doubt the existence of God, it is not actually an invitation to consider the matter with an open mind, but to defiantly deny Him altogether. Or when sin offers an opportunity to desire the property of another person, it is not actually an invitation to long for what someone else has, but to commit the greatest theft, the boldest scandal. Do you see? Sin always aims at the utmost. So you can see why, why Jesus says, when you find it in your life, and you will, when you find it in your life, root it out entirely. Go to war on it. As Owen says elsewhere, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. Sin leads you to death and hell. Jesus makes that very clear here, doesn't it? He speaks about eternal fire in verse 8, the fire of hell in verse 9. The word here is Gehenna. It was, it was the, the rubbish dump in one of the valleys at the edge of Jerusalem. There were always fires burning there. Jesus uses it as the picture to fill our minds as we think about God's punishment. Not all that long ago, I was talking to somebody who wasn't a Christian, and he said he was more drawn to the 
the Jesus of the New Testament than the God of the Old Testament. He considered the God of the Old Testament spoke a lot about judgment. And yet here, Jesus speaks a lot about judgment. I pointed that out to him. And you see, it is the loving thing to do. It's true, isn't it? These are the words that come from the lips of the most loving man who ever walked this earth. And, and, and who didn't want people, didn't want you and I to, to face the, the, the judgment of hell, so much so that He allowed Himself to be nailed to a cross so that we might escape it. And you have to take someone like that seriously, don't you? You have to take him seriously when he says, sin is a terrible danger within your life. And, and when you find it, root it out and go to war against it. So let's think about this in the presence of God together. Christians have used these parts of the body to think about the various things that Jesus speaks of here, hands and feet and eyes, to point to the things that we, we do, the places that we go, the things that we set our hearts upon, the things that fill our gaze. Are there things in our lives that we have called a truce with? If so, then we need to break the ceasefire and go to war with them again, with all the resources that the Holy Spirit will give us. Be killing sin, or sin will be killing you. Threatens from within. Now, you might wonder, how is it that we've got to this part of the Bible that's supposed to be about relationships within the church, and we're talking about our own hearts? Well, you see, simply it is that the health of the body depends upon the health of the individuals, doesn't it? We do not live to ourselves alone. We, we need each other to be taking sin seriously within our lives. We are not unconnected islands, but we are members of a body, and the health of one part affects the health of the whole. Remember some of the Old Testament stories that teaches that very powerfully? Remember there were times the people of God were defeated in battle because of the private and personal sin of, of, of one person or one family. You see, the body is affected by those who make up the family. So we have a, we have a duty to one another. And that then brings us to our last point. God's children are to watch over each other. Jesus brings us back to his precious and yet vulnerable children, see to you that you do not look down on one of these little ones, for I tell you that their angels in heaven always see the face of my Father in heaven. Some people have, have taken this as a, a justification for the idea of guardian angels. Uh, the Bible doesn't tell us that, or the Bible does tell us that God uses His angels to serve His people, but it doesn't necessarily imply even here that there's a one-to-one -one correlation between one person and, and an angel in heaven. But it is certainly saying that, that His children are precious to Him by heaven's estimation. And that sets the scene for what he says next. What do you say? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine in the hills and look for, go and look for the one that has wandered off? And if he finds it, I tell you the truth, he's happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should be lost. Now, we know this story, don't we? Jesus telling us the story about the shepherd who goes out and searches for the sheep. 
But we're more familiar with it from Luke 15, where it is one of three stories about a lost sheep and a lost coin and a lost son. And there Jesus is making the point that He searches for lost people, those who who need to be saved and rescued. But, but that's not really the point that he's making here. This is about a believer who has become separated from the flock, a believer who has wandered off, and the shepherd then goes out to find it. It does imply, doesn't it, as we were hinting to with the boys and girls, that a key indicator of spiritual health is our connection to the flock. Sometimes I hear people say, you know, I'm taking a break from church, but I still have a strong faith. Well, just like that piece of coal on the hearth, that faith will not be sustained for long. But the point is, you see here, when a brother or sister gets into trouble and drifts away, God cares. And the point is, therefore, that we should care. We shouldn't just say, well, there are 99. Flock's still big enough. Or even it's their fault for wandering off. It may well be. But this is one of God's precious and vulnerable children. They, they, they need to be sought out and encouraged back. And of course, this is the job for, for pastor and for the elders, but it's also the job of every believer. Because when we become members of the church, we are giving one another some ownership and input into our lives. We are saying, watch out for me, and I'll do my best to watch out for you. Play a part in my life. I, I need you, and, and you, to some degree, need me. So, let's pray for the wanderer and tell them that they are, they are missed and work for their return, because God is not willing that any of His little ones be lost relationships within the kingdom. This is a challenge, isn't it? Wouldn't it be easier to sit at home and, and to listen to Tim Keller sermons on the internet on a Sunday morning? It would, but it is not what God desires. He puts us together into a family to, to watch out for one another, to, to work through these messy businesses of relationships, and as we'll see next week, to, to forgive one another and to, to uh, admonish one another and to seek reconciliation with one another and to care for one another. We are precious to God, and therefore all of us ought to be precious to one another. There are dangerous to all of us from outside of ourselves and from inside of ourselves. We must watch over one another. May God help us as we seek to do this. Let's pray together. Lord, we so, we so want to be part of a fellowship that knows these things in our experience, that, that genuinely cares for one another, that helps each other burn brightly for you, that takes sin seriously, both the threats from outside of ourselves and the threats from inside of ourselves. 
and that watches over us when we falter. So help us, Lord, to take Your Word and apply it to our hearts, to take sin seriously, but to love You fully. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.